This is Loudspeaker. Hey there, I'm your host, Sarah Menares, and you're listening to the We Podcast, where together we find inspiration, encouragement, and growth through stories and real talk. Here we navigate the messy human experience together. We raise our voices and speak our truth. In this space, we value the conversations that broaden our perspective and help us fully understand that we are connected, we are capable of growth, and that we are not alone. Are you ready? Let's get real. You're listening to episode number 102. In this episode, I get to talk with Dr. Tamara Yakubowski. Tamara is a recovering academic and rule follower who now supports others' transformations to break out of the rule book and live an unapologetic life in relation with nature. Tamara weaves together supportive partnerships with aspiring and current knowledge creators, community shapers, paradigm shifters, and rule breakers. She uses her overarching trauma patterns to help women stand in their inner wisdom to go against the mainstream and live their impact. She does this through her unique GROW methodology that helps women to reconnect to themselves, their community, and to nature. This is the perfect episode to listen to with Earth Day being only a couple of days away. We talk about the idea of climate feminism, which is a new term for me and I loved learning about. We also dive into things like patriarchy, climate change, recycling, and all things Mother Earth. This was a enlightening episode for me in so many ways, and I hope it is for you as well. So here we go. So I love that in your bio, you say that you are a recovering academic and rule follower. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Could you start out by telling us a little bit about that? So I've been uh, a professor in higher education for, I was counting yesterday, 14 years, but I've been in higher education for about two decades. And I'm realizing the more I talk to other women similar to me that a lot of us kept going on in school because we were good at the system and we were praised for being good students and, you know, good girls and good daughters and all these things. So I realized that working the educational system and being, you know, the good, the good daughter, the good kid, the good girl, that at some point I was doing all of these things and they weren't necessarily my thing. And that in following everybody else's rules, I kind of hit this point in my 30s around the time I had my daughter of like, well, crap, I don't know who I am. I actually went to a new therapist during that time period and she was like, well, tell me about yourself. And I immediately started with, well, I'm a professor. She's like, well, that's not who you are oh my God, no, what do you mean? That's not who I am. So that sort of started this journey of like, well, who am I actually if I'm not my job? And so now it's been sort of this path of, I kind of lovingly call it rehab as a recovering academic of like, 
this commitment or this addiction to overworking, overperforming, overachieving, over everything and trying to get back to, well, who am I actually? What do I actually want? What's my purpose? And getting back to or getting out of that culture of busy and getting more into the rest and restore and rejuvenate and just finding that well-being part. And then writing my own rules. And one thing that you attribute that overachieving to is past trauma patterns. Yeah. Tell us, just give us a little bit more of maybe your backstory growing up as well. Well, I think about like our, you know, childhood traumas of like this, I've realized in healing my relationship patterns that I've had this like anxious attachment pattern of that kind of comes from emotional insecurity as a child of, you know, sometimes there would be affection and attention. And then other times there wouldn't be trust issues in childhood, you know, divorce, separation, you know, strained relationships with, you know, a sibling and all of these things sort of, you know, my parents all, you know, they worked full time. I mean, they did their best as, you know, many parents do. And I think that that looking for attention from one's parents kind of promoted this like overachieving, over trying to perform to get that attention that just maybe wasn't there or got redirected to, you know, other people and issues and things like that. That's kind of, I guess, my best summary of Well, actually, I don't know. I won't say that many people probably have something because I think actually a lot of people have perfectly good and and not to say my childhood wasn't good. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) That was kind of a stumbly, stumbly through that. That's okay. I I do think you're on to something when you say we all have something like, yeah, I, I think probably most people are traumatized by something because it it comes through our own individual lenses and what's traumatizing Mm -hmm. to one person is not necessarily to another, but that we've all experienced things that have, you know, created in some way a trauma response within us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's also like this, this feeling right now, as I reflect on what I just shared of my parents are good people. They did do the best that they could with the time and the time of life, you know, uh, what I grew up in the eighties and nineties, you know, but also, you know, really reflecting on as an adult over the last few years of like having, you know, one parent as an alcoholic and kind of seeing those patterns and reflecting back on that. And then, you know, what does that mean as an adult and, you know, what kind of patterns and responses does that play out in my own behaviors, not necessarily blaming them at this point, but more of like, okay, I see this pattern in me. It's likely from that childhood piece, how do I, you know, how can I now hijack that pattern and redirect it into something that's healthier and beneficial for me? And then, you know, also, I think, you know, a lot of us need to like, I can't, I won't, I won't talk for other people. I needed to like work through and like forgive whatever I thought was sort of the thing of my childhood. Right. So that mostly, you know, I think a lot of this came up for me after having a daughter having, she's my only kid. Cause I'm like, well, I don't want to repeat these things. Right. Mm-hmm. So how do I stop that now? Yes. I was just having a conversation with a good friend the other day too, about how our, our kids have a really amazing tendency of putting our 
stuff <laughs> right in front of our face. <laughs> yes. And, you know, really teaching us or showing us, revealing to us what it is that we need to work on or change or, you know, stop maybe generational patterns in. Yeah. And I also, she has really brought me, I would say like back to myself. She has always been a kid who, so she's seven, uh, almost eight now. So second grade, but she's always been a kid who was so nature worldly connected in this. I mean, and I think a lot of little kids are like this. They have this really kind of creepy, cool way of like being so wise just by making the most simple like phrase. I'm like, but so I'll share this one story because I think it connects back to sort of climate feminism. So this would have been a few years ago. So she would have been like four or five and it must have been early summer because we were going through like dandelions and blowing, you know, blowing the dandelions and making wishes kind of thing. And so she pulls up one and she blows on it. She says, I'm going to make a wish for you, mama. I'm like, oh, okay. So she like pulls up the dandelion and like whispers into the, the little flower seeds and she's smiling and then she blows it. And then she hands me the stem and she says, oh, you know, I wrote something on the stem for you, you know? So I'm like, oh, okay. And I'm looking at the stem. I'm like, oh, honey, I can't read it. Could you read it for me? So she said that she wanted me to have hugs and kisses from mother nature every day throughout my life. And for me, it's like, she has really brought me back to this nature earth connection that I know I had as a kid. And I remember loving like environmental science in high school, but I never pursued any of that. I kind of went down a different path, but always kind of stayed like adjacent to nature, you know, hiking, camping, all of these things, but never doing anything with it. So over the last few years, as she's gotten older, she's really big into science. She has wanted to be an astronaut for many years now, and she is fixed on that mission and that goal. And so I've started to get back into sort of that nature connection. And that I think really connects with, you know, I started a life coaching business and a big part of that now is helping women reconnect to their body and to nature. Because I think so often in life, we get disconnected from both things. So reconnecting to that to help us really hone in on our own purpose in life. And then the other piece is like this broader, like impact of climate change, right? So climate change affects everyone on earth, yet, you know, we feel it disproportionately depending on, you know, our privileges and our location and our resources and our identities. So really getting back to ourselves, helping us get back to nature. Cause I feel like if we're connected to ourselves and to nature and to our community, we're going to want to do things or we will naturally do things that are connected to climate action. And so this, you know, just sort of this whole connection piece. I really believe that our children are teachers in a lot of mm -hmm. ways. And we, we get it wrong a lot of times thinking we're here to teach them, <laughs> but in yeah. reality, they bring us things that, that are just so profound and beautiful. And so I, I had had a previous conversation with you and you brought up the topic of climate feminism. And honestly, I don't want to admit that I don't know about this thing, but I don't know about this thing. And so 
I'm really into social justice. I'm really into, you know, racial inequality and I don't know this piece. And so, yeah. I would love for you to kind of dive in and let tell us even, you know, what is climate feminism? Well, and let me first say, like, this is not, this is not my phrase. This is something that I came to the phrase of climate feminism that I came to from this book, this newer book anthology called All We Can Save, Truth, Courage and Solutions for the Climate Crisis. And the women in this book, this anthology, are doing this amazing work, right? They're scientists, they're artists, they're poets, they're storytellers, they're indigenous elders. They're doing the frontline work and really put together this, for me and for other people, they just really tied it together, like amazingly. And so the idea of climate feminism, you know, they talk about this, that, you know, climate crisis is not gender neutral, right? It's, they refer to it as this, you know, threat multiplier. So any of the injustices and vulnerabilities already there, climate just makes it so much worse. And they really make this connection between the idea that the patriarchy and the structure that oppresses girls, women, and non-binary folks is the same one that is causing destruction on the natural world, right? So it's, is the idea that patriarchy and oppression is there to exploit and to profit off of. And so we do this with people and populations and cultures around the world. But this is the same force that has been at play since the mid 1800s when the Industrial Revolution started. And we started first extracting resources and coal was the, you know, the first main piece all the way up to fracking today, right? We are extracting resources from for our own profit and benefit at the cost of the earth and other folks' health and well-being. So like the same energy that we are the same efforts we're putting into now fracking, we could be putting those same resources into renewable energy resources that wouldn't have the same detrimental impact on earth and nearby populations and would be more long, long lasting and sustainable and would also be creating jobs and those sorts of things. So it just kind of tied every, when I first read it and I came across their work, it was like this, oh my God, aha, right? Like I've been a longtime feminist. I really care about the earth. I also care about social justice, the racial injustices, also like the pandemic has really revealed a lot of injustices as well, right? It's not, it has created new ones, but it's mostly like brought forward to a lot of folks, myself included, who I live a privileged life, right? Like I'm an educated person, I'm a homeowner, you know, all of these pieces, but it's really kind of put all of the last couple of years has sort of put everything out there for folks. And so this book and their work, of climate feminism just kind of tied everything together of holy crap we're all you know it really is all connected and by working on one we're actually working on all of these pieces it's not a we have to fix this first and then we can do this it's this you know combined effort we're actually fixing all of these pieces so that, you know, people have, you know, access and security and safety and that we're just doing this through a collective action and effort moving forward. 
you said you've been a longtime feminist, and I feel like there are a lot of different definitions of feminism. Yeah. What does being a feminist mean to you? I think, you know, at the foundational level, it's about being aware of the inequalities in the systems and working to right those inequalities for all folks. The idea that patriarchy is actually harmful to everyone, men, women, non-binary, planet, animals, everyone, right? So that our systems and the patriarchal structure hurts everybody. I actually had this conversation in class yesterday of talking about feminism of like, you know, it's not this man hating bra burning. Actually, no one ever even burned bras back in the 70s. That was just sort of a story that came out to sort of polarize, right? These are very polarizing and these terms like feminism and climate change, um, especially in the U.S. gets very polarized and very weaponized to kind mm-hmm. of I mean, honestly, to like maintain the power and in the structure, but really it's just like, how do we create systems and a culture that is equitable for all folks that, you know, allow men to stay home with their family and be, you know, nurturers without critique and stereotypes and name calling, but also systems in place to support that. You know, what helps women receive equal pay for work? And, you know, I think the pandemic has really shown this idea of in the U.S., we don't have a social support system because we have polarized this idea of social support through the government is, quote, bad. And so instead, the pandemic has really shown that we rely largely on women for this unpaid labor of social support, right? So when schools have shut down, it has largely been women who have had to leave the workforce in order to do that. Or similar to my art, like myself, of I haven't left the workforce, but I'm working from home full time as a single mom and also remote schooling support my kid. So this is what feminism would want to address, right? It would want a social support system in the government to help rather than rely on like this unpaid labor and this extra burden on anyone, right? But largely it has been women. So it would advocate for things like that so that women have access and the right to pursue what they want to pursue and also have their children be in a safe and secure supported space. Mm -hmm. And I mean, and there are tons of examples that, that could go for that. So I think that The framework that I use is that feminism is for everyone because it benefits access and support for everyone. Which the patriarchy would say it doesn't benefit men, right? (laughs) So, yeah. So how does it benefit men, do you think? Well, you know, how does feminism benefit men? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that patriarchy keeps men in a very narrow sort of set of rules as well, right? It doesn't allow for men to express a wide range of emotion. It doesn't allow for them to pursue or to have support for pursuing alternative careers, right? Like it's not a surprise that we don't see like a lot of, let's say, male kindergarten teachers or early elementary Do I think that that's because people don't want to? No, I think it's because it's discouraged and because it's very low pay, right? Mm -hmm. So again, a field that happens to have 
predominantly all women happens to be our lowest pay. And yet those years are the most critical for our children. So I think that, yeah, feminism benefits men as well, because it opens up again, that access, those options, that support to pursue and to be holistic, right? To be fully there. We've seen, especially with, you know, our generation and the next generation, parents want to be there for their children in a wide range of ways, right? So patriarchy would say, well, no, men are, you know, breadwinners. I know, you know, on the podcast, you can't see, I do lots of air quotes for these like things that I find are like these silly stereotypes. But, you know, so a lot of folks, men and women aren't wanting to work you know, eight to five and evenings and weekends and be away from their kids, right? They want to be involved. We want to have these more well, holistic lives, right? We don't want to just work, work, work. We want to be involved in our family. We want to have our own pursuits, our own interests. And I think that, you know, the pandemic has brought that forward as well of like, you know, we had that while the first couple of months were really hard of the shutdown and everything, there was also this pause that happened, right? And I think in that pause, not everybody, because again, that was, it was privileged for folks to have a pause. Not everybody got a pause, but for those of us that had a pause, it was like, we could take a breath. Yes, we were grieving and there were all these other worries and fears, but then there was also this pause and this time with family, you know, if we were in that situation. Yeah, I like that you point out too that that's that was privileged because I think a lot of people assume it's everyone when it's definitely not. But I think those are really great points and I I try to explain this to people. I've never really explained it in the way of feminism, so this is really helpful for me, but I I see a lot of men come into my office for therapy because these rules, the patriarchy is damaging to them. They do Mm -hmm. have feelings they want to talk about. They need to talk about. They have passions they want to pursue that they feel like they can't or whatever it may be. And so I feel like that's really huge in maybe helping people to understand why this is so important on a bigger scale, that it really truly does positively affect everyone. Yeah. And, you know, it it is interesting that, you know, it is feminism and climate change. You know, these are concepts that are highly polarized and politicized, right? And it's so funny. It's like, oh, great. I picked the two topics nobody wants to talk about. Awesome. (laughs) Let's do it. But I think that that's really critical, right? Because if we want to shift for ourselves and for our communities, and we want to live, let's say like our best lives, or we want to live our dreams, then we've got to be doing something different, right? Because patriarchy and capitalism, it wants to keep us working, working, working without really working on social justice issues, right? Because social justice issues and work points out the harms of patriarchy and capitalism as it's currently configured in the U.S. It just keeps us in this cycle of work, 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 which is a little concerning for me. You know, I've seen kind of coming out of like a year of the pandemic, I'm in higher education and I see institutions ramping up work right? So we kind of had a slowdown at the beginning of the pandemic. We had this moment of like, oh, maybe things can shift and we can find like this 
balance and, you know, things can be okay. And then actually I'd say it really ramped up. And I think I, you know, we see this with kind of like economy recovery. Oh, well, we've got to ramp everything back up at the risk of people's health and well-being. Mm-hmm. Right. People are stressed. They're burnt out. I mean, I imagine you see this a, a lot as well. You know, they're frustrated. They want alternatives. I think a lot of people are hurting and we need to look at alternative frameworks and systems if we want to create a future that's not continuing that hurt and that overwork and that these really rigid rules. Mm hmm. I don't know. This is my soapbox. No, it's good. It's good. I I want to dig down a little deeper into it because I feel like we're, we're kind of scratching the surface and I guess I want to know, let me read this quote from you and, and, and then we'll go from there. So you say climate change further exacerbates the inequalities and struggles for women, children, and non-binary individuals as our climate crisis is entrenched in patriarchy capitalist greed and racism that is global and unequally specific to the U.S. And and I want to dive more into what that means exactly. Like, Mm -hmm. how does it further exacerbate the inequalities and struggles for women, children, and non-binary individuals? Well, so if we think about climate change, some of the things that happen with it, right, are, you know, so we have increasing droughts, extreme weather conditions, we have sort of forced migration that happens globally, because, you know, civil unrest, weather patterns that drive people out of certain areas, we have health impact that happen as a result of, you know, climate change and the weather patterns and, and all of this. And it's largely the women uh, and children who are in the homes and they're the ones who are largely responsible for, you know, taking care of these sort of domestic and home things. They're the ones who are the most vulnerable in terms of work and, and access to resources. So if there's displacement, it, you know, we think about globally displacements, uh, they are largely the ones who are displaced first because, you know, climate change stresses, you know, the political system, economic system, social systems. And so when we think about worldwide, women and children are the most vulnerable sort of globally in and, you know, in this country as well, if we think about sort of low income area, they're the ones who carry a lot of the burden and the work in communities. So, you know, they're also, you know, we talked about like kind of feminized fields, right? So teaching, nursing, a lot of the caregiving tends to fall to women. And so it's just an added, added stress on, onto them. So I think that that's kind of the, one of the pieces of climate change that we don't, we maybe don't necessarily think about. And also, you know, communities of color are disproportionately in areas and cities and areas that are most affected by the extreme pieces, right? We think about Hurricane Katrina in the New Orleans area and what, you know, that's one of the more obvious ones in the U.S. of what populations and neighborhoods were most impacted and destroyed. And that's, you know, a direct example of extreme weather patterns and changes that was sort of just one of the early ones to happen. But since then, I, I can't even remember all the names of 
the hurricanes and the floods and the pieces that we've had around the world. Also, we think about, you know, so here in Colorado, extreme heat is increasingly more common. In the summer months, we've had loss of precipitation. Last year was an awful wildfire year, only projected to continue. Who are the populations who are out in our agricultural fields? Who's working our agricultural work? Who's working a lot of these jobs that they're exposed to these extremes without the privilege and the safety of, say, air conditioning, breaks, access to healthcare, all of these pieces. So it's just sort of how these changes that we're seeing, how they disproportionately affect folks that are already, I guess, you know, what I think healthcare would call like a, you know, vulnerable populations. Mm -hmm. That's really helpful. I think the question is, what do we do? I know Earth Day is coming up just a few days after this episode airs. And so I'd love for you to tell us about that too. It To me, it can kind of feel like, and I, I feel like maybe climate change is something I've avoided a little mm-hmm. bit because I'm like, well, what can I as one person individually really do about it, which is a terrible way to think. I get that. And so I think we need more of what can I do about it? Even if I'm the only one that makes this change or how can I make an impact? Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. I've had a lot of conversations over the last few months, just trying to assess what people even believe about it in terms of like, How concerned are they? What do they feel like they can do? And a lot of what's come up is this idea of, I know it's there, but it doesn't feel as pressing as X, Y, and Z because we're not seeing the connections. Also, I think that I've I've heard from a lot of uh, folks about this. There's some shame and guilt of like, oh, I know I should. Right. And anytime like we should ourselves, like that's just, we're just going down a shame as a good, as a good friend says, a shame shithole. Right. And anytime we go down a shame shithole, it's not helpful. Right. All of a sudden we've incapacitated ourselves for action. So some things that I've started to do in response to kind of learning about this, of I started, you know, a small group of some women friends. We meet in my backyard, you know, distanced and masked because we're still in a pandemic every month. And we're actually reading this book together, All We Can Save. And we're kind of going through it and we're talking about how to deal with this feeling of one, I think there's this feeling of lack of knowledge. And so being okay with like, there's a lot of science about climate change and it can be really overwhelming, but there are some, there are some basics we can understand, right? Like science or not science, climate change has increased extreme heat, precipitation, floods, droughts, and wildfire. And all of that impacts our health, right? And so really connecting climate change to the impact on people, right? It is impacting all of our health, like, right? It's our respiratory, it's allergies, it's foodborne, waterborne diseases. It's our mental health. Think about the mental health last summer from having a month more where we had bad air quality days from the wildfires and, and it was in a pandemic and most of us couldn't get outside safely for well over a month, right? So think about the mental health impact. And so when we can just simply connect it to people, I think we can 
get past like the overwhelm of the science part and just be like, oh, I see how this like impacts all of us every day. And then, so I think it's, you know, getting comfortable with a little bit of knowledge, but also knowing like, we don't have to know it all to make an impact. And then it's moving into that individual impact of as one person, I'm not going to solve this, but you know what, if we each do a thing and maybe we do a thing with a few of our neighbors or some of our friends, then we're all kind of making this little impact forward and really requiring also that our elected officials are doing something. So right now I currently live in Fort Collins and the city of Fort Collins just adopted our climate future, which is a comprehensive climate plan across different units of the government to make a top down, but also to support community grassroots bottom up. So we are at this critical point with climate and the planet, mostly, you know, the future of humans, like, right, the planet will survive. It's the humans and the animals and plants on it. We're at this critical point of we each need to be doing something. And we also need the top down piece as well, because we need to be making some changes, but we know what to do, right? The beautiful thing is we have the science. Now we know what to be doing and what to demand of our politicians and our elected officials and of, of the businesses that we purchase from, right? We have power in where we spend our money and what we demand of businesses to change and do. And so just, I think getting past the shame and recognizing the amount of power that we as an individual have and coming together in our community, Mm -hmm. right? Like the pandemic has isolated us in some ways. And I think that I really feel, you know, part of my work also, and I, I, I think I hear it with yours as well, is this idea of like, we've got to come together, right? Mm -hmm. We've got to hear the universal stories and the universal like impact and help each other find their impact. So with this group of women that I meet with, you know, we all have very different interests. So we talked about at our last meeting of like, this feels really overwhelming. So what is the one thing each of us wants to do? Mm-hmm. So we each decided to go out and find what's the one thing we want to do and bring back to share with the group so that it's not like one person doing it all, but mm-hmm. it's one person doing what they're passionate about and then sharing it back with the group and saying, Hey, I need everybody's help on this meeting coming up or yeah, I'm working on this and I'm letting you know so that we're all connected and we just get back to community and support and, you know, leading with passion and heart and with the care and concern of everyone versus the individual. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, because we really can make such a bigger impact if we're working together and it does feel so overwhelming if it's, oh yeah, you know, that feeling of, oh, this is just me. I, you know, I'm the only one, but when you're in a community and you're seeing, gosh, that makes just such a bigger, bigger ripple, but also takes uh, some of that pressure off, (laughs) Yeah, you know, that we put on ourselves too. Yeah. And it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't have to be everything. Like I think about right now. So last time I bought a house, the yard was largely neglected over the years. And so this summer, or actually now I've started this pretty comprehensive, like yard redesign. And I want to try to broadcast it because my thing is like, how do we grow food over grass? 
So helping like anybody, like here's how you grow food. Maybe you don't have a yard, so you can grow things in containers, right? Like let's work on, for me, because I come from generations of farmers, family farmers, I'm really passionate also about food security. I want everyone to have access to fresh food because they can grow it. So Mm -hmm. let me help connect you to how you can grow it with whatever resources you have, where you can get free support and help and things like that, because that's a piece too, right? When we grow plants and fruit trees are just trees, we're actually helping offset carbon in the atmosphere. So that circles back to helping climate change, but it also helps you as your family because you're growing your own vegetables for the summer, right? Mm -hmm. So these pieces like this have really just like, that's the thing that I am passionate about. And so my neighbor maybe is passionate about something else. So they're working on a different piece of it. So we're all kind of working on a piece and learning together and growing together and building those relationships. And it's the relationships and the conversations that help educate on these polarizing issues. It's finding what do we all care about? Well, we care about our families. Mm -hmm. We care about our food. We care about our health. So finding the commonalities And then that's how we kind of make progress on these pieces. You're listening to a podcast on the Loudspeaker Network. To find other podcasts and unique programming, visit www.loudspeaker.fm. Loudspeaker, diverse voices, unique sound. Feminist Hot Dog is back with a new season packed with awesome interviews with icons, artists, innovators, authors, and lots of surprises. Whether you consider yourself a hardcore feminist or you're feeling feminist curious, tune in Wednesday nights at 8 Mountain and get all the information and inspiration you need to live your best feminist life. Listen Wednesdays on Loudspeaker and Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, love yourself and love your fun. So one thing that I'm aware of that I've become more aware of is the toxins and the products that we use and how we put those down our drains and Mm. on our bodies and all of that, you know, but also packaging of things. I've tried the new shampoo and conditioner. That's just a bar of soap. Mm -hmm. It's, it's been an interesting shift. (laughs) 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 but I love to be able to think, okay, just with this little shift, I'm not putting two more plastic bottles out into the landfills or. Yeah. So I do love that. We all have our, our different areas where we can really zone in. And also I think help educate other people in those areas of how that maybe one little shift can make a difference. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's the conversations with our kids too, right. Of helping them understand and have these, have these conversations at school and, you know, with their peers and helping them learn because they're the ones that are inheriting all the mess that our generation and the previous, you know, the boomer generation have done. Mm -hmm. They're going to live with the impact. Yeah. Can we talk really quickly about recycling? Yeah. So I have heard these arguments about recycling and how recycling costs more money than it actually is worth. And all. I, I just love to hear your thoughts on recycling. 
Oh, geez. This is like a maddening thing, right? You know, on one hand, it's like, let's stop using plastic. If it's so hard to recycle, which it is, it does cost money. Also, why aren't the companies having to pay for it? The ones that are, that are making the plastic, why are they not responsible for paying for it? Why is this a, you know, city, our, our individual taxpayer piece, right? So on one hand, I don't know why we're not demanding that the companies have a responsibility for what they're putting out because they have known for decades the impact of what they've done, right? And what they're using. So on one hand, I just think that, well, if, if they had to pay for it, you know what? I bet they would find an alternative product. Yeah. And so that's how it relates back to capitalism too, right? Like, oh yeah. Because it's all about making their money. profit. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. But at the expense of our health and our planet's well-being. So a lot, not every city has recycling or you have to contract it out separately or it's not even available. Like my parents live in Louisiana. It's not even a, an, an available thing for them. So we're bearing the cost and the burden of what they're doing. There is the science that's available that we don't have to be using all of these types of plastics, right? There are alternative compostable options available. But again, Nothing, the government, us as consumers, we're not demanding this of our product. And if we were, you know what? The companies would change because they still want to get the profit. Mm -hmm. So if we stopped buying, we stopped using, we demanded more federally and individually or consumer wise, then we would see, we would see a shift. I also think one of, you know, easy things would be, you know, citywide composting. There's so much food waste that goes into the landfill. And we know that landfills don't compost, right? Like things get trapped. In order to compost, you need oxygen, you need, you need aeration, like you need these things that don't happen in a landfill. So there are things cities should be responsible for. I think a citywide composting program makes so much sense. It would reduce so much into the landfill. And I think that goes along with recycling. But also I think as an individual, until we have those larger changes, it's what you're what you're saying about the shampoo. It's becoming really conscious of packaging and, and what we're buying. You know, is there a place, a grocery store in town that has bulk that allows you to bring in reusable containers? Is there a way to not, you know, like I think about going to the grocery store and, you know, they have all those individual bags to put your vegetables in. Can you not do that? Can you just put the five bell peppers loose in your, your shopping cart and just have the cashier weigh them? Do you have to do a bag? I think that there are little things like, you know, that we can start to do, but it, again, it's gotta be the little individual things and the larger things. And yeah, recycling is, is maddening, right? And if you just look at the amount of waste that makes it into the ocean and, you know, the, this whole cycle, how plastics are in, you know, all of the ocean animals, the fish that we eat. And, oh, I mean, it's just, it's maddening. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> okay. So hopefully we can all make little changes, you know, after this, I do love to see, you know, there was the whole save the turtles with the straws thing that kind of went yeah. viral. And now a lot of restaurants are using compostable straws, things like that. So I, I love what you say about, you know, we need to demand that. And, and we demand that by where we spend our money. Right. Yeah. And I also think, you know, that the straws is a great conversation point because 
like I think about, so climate feminism, we targeted straws, but we didn't bring everybody to the table too. So if you remember, there was sort of the backlash of like folks with different physical abilities. We're like, but wait a minute, I need, I need straws. Mm-hmm. Right. So the answer isn't to get rid of straws. Right. It's to change the type of straw, right? It's to encourage a uh, metal straw, you know, people to like carry their own metal straws or utensils and things like that. So it's climate feminism would say, we've got a problem. Let's bring diverse, multiple voices to the table to make sure we're finding solutions that are accessible mm-hmm. and equitable, mm-hmm. right? To sort of work through the, these situations. Yes, everybody needs a a seat, a voice at the table. So often the only voice at the table is the white (laughs) male voice. (laughs) Yeah, I absolutely. And, and we see this in the climate movement that a lot are, you know, in sort of the situation that we're in now is because it's been largely wealthy white men at the table making these decisions. So climate feminism is also a response and reaction to that, we need to shift to a community of care and we need to shift the conversation back away from profit for the 1% or the, you know, the few to what is equitable and supportive for all. Mm -hmm. And so it's just like, it's part of this global, what I think is this global movement of conversations like this and, you know, the youth movement of it's time for a shift. Mm-hmm. It's been way past the time for a shift. And now I think we've had so many big hits globally that it's supporting and moving that movement forward. Yeah. I, I feel like I want to ask you a question, but it's going to open a whole nother can of worms. <laughs> I love worms. <laughs> I hear you and I 100% agree with you. And I, I think a lot of times I think about the argument that people are kind of saying to keep that shift from happening. And so I hear this huge need to care for each other and to show up for each other and to do things differently. And I know the argument from a lot of people, which comes from patriarchy, is that if we do that, that's a shift to socialism And I wish y'all could see her face. She's smiling like (laughs) this is her can of worms. So I just want you to speak to that. What are your thoughts about that kind of? Yeah. Well, what's wrong with socialism? What's wrong with caring for everybody? Mm -hmm. Right? Like, so the argument in the U.S. is largely against socialism, say like Canada, universal health care is based on these false ideas of like bootstrap theory and rugged individualism, right? These are US-centric values, the belief that if you just work hard enough, you too can own a house with a white picket fence. And if you don't have that, it's because you're not working hard enough. Completely ignores privilege and inequalities and inequities, right? That assumes we're all starting at the same place and we all have access to the same resources and that we can all achieve X, but we can't. Mm -hmm. And part of this is this country thus far is unwilling to accept and come to terms with our inherent racism. And so because of that, we continue to perpetuate systems and values 
that are racist, right? Rugged individualism and bootstrap theory. The idea that you pull yourself up by hard work is inherently racist because not everybody can do that. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think the whole argument against socialism, who's making those arguments and what's their privileged point, right? It's, it's easy to argue against social support and climate change and feminism when you're sitting in a place of financial, physical, emotional well-being and security. Mm -hmm. That's my short answer. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) There are so many people who feel like, well, if you give to somebody else, that means it's going to take from me. And Mm -hmm. there's that fear, right? Well, I've worked so hard. Why should I give my stuff that I've worked for to somebody else? So it goes back to what you were saying earlier about just that individualism and needing to make that, that shift. Yeah. It's such a value piece, right? Like I spent uh, a few months in Finland doing a research project with the educational research there a few years ago. And they pay high taxes and it's based on the belief that there are fundamental human rights. There is a human right to free education all the way through college. There is a human right to housing and food security. Mm-hmm. There is a human right to insurance or to healthcare. In mm-hmm. this country, we have privatized those. We've made them all pretty much, you know, only for those who can afford. Mm -hmm. What? What? Like, why are these not human? Like, why do we also not believe in human rights? Right? Like, Mm -hmm. why is there not this base foundation of human rights and access? And instead, we're blaming the individual. And yet it's actually our system and our race, our inherent racism Mm -hmm. that we're just unwilling and uncomfortable to come to terms with. Because we think that acknowledge, you know, as, as a, a white folks, we think acknowledging racism is going to take something away from us. Well, I mean, on one hand, maybe it should, right? Like, but also like it's accepting and recognizing and honoring like our collective humanity. Mm-hmm. But because we don't do that, it makes it very easy for us to, I'm going to circle back to climate change. It makes it very easy for us to take from, right? As privileged folks. We just take, 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 because that's what individual zero sum game means. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to keep taking and hoarding everything. It's like the toilet paper hoard of the pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. I just need to hoard all the toilet paper. Yeah. Well, why? I just need one roll. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And then you can have a roll and you can have a roll and then we're all fine. Mm -hmm. But instead we get into this like hoarding. And so it's a value shift. It's, it's again, it's that individualism versus community piece. So yeah, when people ask that, I'm like, yeah, what's wrong with socialism? I believe in human rights, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? I believe in a foundation of supporting folks and providing access to education and jobs and retraining so that people can have a purpose and can contribute and feel good about their lives. Yeah, I agree. I individualism is a huge toxin <laughs> to our own mental health and well-being and society as a whole. I think the people who are struggling the most 
who I see are struggling because a lot of times they don't have a community. They don't have support. They don't have that. There is so much, it, it all falls back on me and I'm the only one. And that's just, oh, there's so much that goes with that, that I'm not going to dive into because you got me all fired up there. <laughs> Let's go. I'm firing you up and now it's time to end. It's good stuff though. And so I would really encourage, you know, our listeners to dive into this more. I'm really going to challenge myself to dive more into some of these topics and figure out, you know, what is my thing? What's my thing that I really want to zone in on and really want to try and make a difference in. And so I know, again, I said already, we're going into Earth Day here coming up, but I would love to hear, you know, do you have any tips for people? Is there a way to really honor Earth Day or something that you feel like would be helpful? What are your thoughts on that? Use it as a reminder, you know, maybe pick something to learn about climate change, maybe plant a tree in your neighborhood, or you know what, better yet, find a spot in your community that doesn't have trees and doesn't have areas like that and plant a tree there. Like there are what we call heat islands that are devoid of sort of the canopy of tree shade and support. So find some place in your community that is in need of, you know, gardening or tree planting, trash pickup, and go do that there, right? There's this book that I read with my daughter. It's called like fill your bucket or something like that. It's when you do something good for someone else, it fills your bucket and it fills theirs. Mm -hmm. Let's do that. Let's do more of that. Yeah. And then, you know, let's just start like this collective, like climate feminism, community conversation, book group, I, you know, like all of these things, right? Let, let's just do that mm-hmm. and learn and grow and get over the, get out of the shame shithole together. Hell yeah. Get out <laughs> of that shithole. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right. What do you feel has been the most vital to your growth? I think I already mentioned my daughter coming into my life and I would say my community of people. I think it's all of these people that have held me accountable, encouraged me, supported me, pushed me, questioned me that has just kept me on the path of growth. Walking away from this episode, what do you want to make sure that people know? I think that going, circling back to some of our conversations of let's just make little imperfect action steps forward and make decisions that lead with heart and care and learn and grow yourselves and with other people around you and your community and just like get to our purpose as humans and make an impact, Mm -hmm. whatever that impact is. Yeah. Just do it or just move towards it. Right. Imperfectly. I don't know what my end goal is. I don't know where I'll be in three years. I don't know where all this is going, but I'm just going with it. Right. Because, because I get fired up because I'm passionate because it feels like it's full of heart and purpose. Mm -hmm. And so I let's all go towards that for, for each of us. So how can people connect with you if they want to dive into this further, they want to work with you or get more info? What's the best way for them to do that? 
can go to my website, which is www.tamarayakaboski.com. And on there, you know, you can email me, you can set up a strategy call, you can read blog posts, you can read more about, I have a grow method that I work with people on. So just, yeah, connect that way. And and we can find things out. I'm always trying to find ways I can contribute back and serve people, you know, book clubs or workshops that I can offer to folks. Yeah. And if you're in the Northern Colorado area, if you want to get in on my yard redesign, we can talk through what you can do for that. I love that stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. Very cool. So your grow method, is that your coaching method? Is yeah. that kind of what you're referring to? Yeah. So the G is ground into body and purpose. R is uh, release mindsets and beliefs. O is orient through nature. And W is weave connection and community. Mm, that sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> did you create that yourself? I did. Ooh, I love it. <laughs> thanks, thanks. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. And so all of your links will be in the show notes as well for people to be able to e more easily access you. Is there a social media platform you hang out most on? Yeah, I love Instagram because it really showcases like the the visual pieces. And I just love the the beautiful things that we have in our world that we can showcase and the and the not so beautiful too. I had a recent post of the trash that I found in my yard as I'm trying to repair this raspberry patch I have in the backyard. And I found socks, plastic pieces, I mean, all sorts of random things I found in the soil. And so, mm. you know, there's sometimes posts like that of like, look at the things we find, you know, and like this idea of like, how do we recare, you know, re remother the earth and, mm. and, you know, help it heal and in these little ways, right? Like we're stewards. Thank you so much for listening to the we podcast. What a wonderful conversation with Dr. Tamra. I hope it was helpful and got you motivated to make your own kind of change like it did me. Head on out and plant a tree on Earth Day if you can. It's all about that individual action forward that each of us can take. I would love to hear about your thoughts or favorite moments from this episode. So don't forget to find me on social media and let's get connected. This show is produced by Loudspeaker Networks. Also, credit is due to my talented daughter for creating my show music. You can find more of the We Podcast as well as many other awesome things on the network at loudspeaker.fm. If you heard something that touched you, don't forget to share with your friends. Remember, your story makes you who you are. Speak your truth, show up for the hard conversations, choose growth, and always know that you are not on this journey alone. See you next time. This has been a production of Loudspeaker Networks. For more on this and other programs, visit loudspeaker.fm.